All right. So this week, uh, we're finally going to get on the Church of Philadelphia, the letter to the Church at Philadelphia. So we're in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. And I've got a number of passages up here, so we're going to have to have our volunteers uh, step up and read some scriptures. And I need, uh, who'll get Revelation 3? You got that, Frank? Revelation 3, verse 7 through 13. Go ahead. And to the messenger of the Church in Philadelphia write, these things says the Holy One, the True One, He who has the key of David, He who opens and no one shall shut, and shuts and no one shall open. I know your works. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, those who call themselves Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will cause them to come and worship before your feet, and they shall know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my endurance, I also will keep you out of the hour of trial, which is about to come on the whole inhabited earth, to try them who dwell on the earth. I come quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall by no means go out any more. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which descends out of heaven from my God and my new name. Mm. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Amen. So we all know, right, that this letter to the Church of Philadelphia is uh, Philadelphia up in, in Pennsylvania, right? <laughs> I mean, that's where Philadelphia is. <laughs> and, and we know Philadelphia really is what its name means, right? In the Greek, the brotherly love. So we know Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, especially when you watch NFL football games or if you've been to, a, <laughs> to an Eagles game. That's a joke. Though. That's a joke, right? Yeah, the, the brotherly love of football game in Philadelphia. Hey, you know what? I, I, it's unfortunate to say, but it's a joke as well if you've ever been to Philadelphia itself. Okay, that is a that is a rough city. But nonetheless, the actual the actual meaning in the Greek of, of this city is the city of brotherly love. And I think when when you look at what was said, what Jesus <coughs> is saying to this city, and you think about in Scripture. What's the what's the new commandment? Love your brothers. Man, love love one another, right? Jesus said, "A new commandment I give you: love one another, as He's loved us." Right? And everybody's going to know what that you belong to Jesus, that you're a disciple of the King. And this particular letter, the city in Philadelphia, this is this is a city that received absolutely like Smyrna. No condemnation whatsoever. No rebuke from God. Jesus didn't rebuke them in any way. He didn't call them into repentance in any way. This is a church that God uh, just came to and said, Look, you guys, man, you're struggling. You're, you're having great difficulty. You're in a face of persecution. He even says to them in there that you have little strength. In, 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 in the smallness in your mind of what you have, and even in reality, in terms of the world itself, in terms of just what 
what we experience and what's happening around us and the, the things that we're facing and what our physical strength or even <laughs> mental capacity might be from the human side of who we are. Little strength. God confirms that. You have little authority. I think about uh, right now, just to utilize some of the politics, which, you know, I don't know where you guys stand, but what a victory Absolutely. this weekend. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, okay, I don't want <laughs> to linger on all that, okay? <laughs> but beyond that, it, this is, we've been living in a time and in, in history, and especially in our country, where, man, the evil. You know what I mean? The, the evil that seems to just be spreading in our culture and in our society is so just palpable. So it's almost like you, you can absolutely not only feel it, right? But it's almost like, I was sharing this yesterday, yesterday morning, it's almost like you can see it. And I don't mean what we see people doing. I mean, it's, you can almost just see the supernatural aspect of the evil that is happening in our country. Now, imagine the persecution that this church was facing, just like Smyrna was facing. A great persecution was on them. And this is a city, by the way, just some of the information about it. This city of Philadelphia is not called Philadelphia today, but this, this city is still here. It's in, it's in Turkey, and the modern name, if you want to go look it up on Google Earth and zoom in and look around and all that, is Al-Shahir, which is A-L-A-S-H-E-H-I-R. And I don't know if I pronounced that right. You know, it sounded good. Sounded good. Sounded sound like you got it. Man. Sound like I got it right. But that's the modern day. And here's a great thing, too. This, this, this shouldn't be lost on us, right? Because remember, things happen to these cities, and there's, there's this common... Uh, experience or knowledge that they have that Jesus in these letters is dealing with, he's talking to them about. And keep in mind that all these seven churches were within like 50 to 75 that, miles exactly. of each other. That's exactly right. As a matter of fact, I think this city is something like 25 or 28 miles. It's less than 30 miles away. So from here from to Smyrna. Dallas. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Okay. Well, this, this, this city is located in the wine country of Turkey. Now, think about that for a second. Here's this city. The name of it means brotherly love. It's located, it's, it's primary trade, it's primary, what it was known for. It's located in wine country. A whole lot of love there. Man, there's a whole, there's a whole, lot, of, a whole lot. I'm going to just stop right there. But it's located in wine country. What is, I mean, is wine talked about in, in the Bible? And I don't mean from a drinking perspective. But is it a descriptor of who God is in our life? And you don't put new wine into old wineskins, wine right? Or it's going to burst. Man, you put new, you put new wine into new wineskins. And, and this is important when we get over here. Man, we're a new creation. So there's all these, these layers to these letters that we need to grab a hold of and we need to understand. We need to get out of our filters, as we talk about a lot, right? And we need to see, man, what all is Jesus saying? What all is he doing? Here's another piece of information about it. The city at the time of John had very few people actually living in the city itself. And this is interesting because of what he says towards the end, which we'll talk about next week, okay? 
But this city, man, it was ravaged. This whole region, actually, was ravaged by earthquakes. And so people uh, would not, very few people, would actually live in the city itself. They lived in the country outside of the city. Okay? Because, man, the buildings would fall down, or, or you'd have destruction because of earthquakes that would come. As a matter of fact, the entire city was destroyed in A.D. 17 from an earthquake and was rebuilt. So this is fresh, right? Think about this. John, the Re- John wrote the book of Revelation and had the book of uh, Revel- or the Revelation given to him, right? Some say in 90 A.D., I personally believe, like we've talked about at the beginning of Revelation, that I think it was given prior to 70 A.D. You know, maybe in 60, 65, somewhere in there. Uh, so the point is, what, 40 years within the, within the lifetime of, of multiple generations, that entire city was destroyed by an earthquake and rebuilt. So, so that, that has meaning when we get to the latter part of this letter that he gives to the church that we want to understand because it speaks to us today. Small church remained, especially up to the 12th century, a lot of, lot of history and information that we have about that church. And I, I don't know, I can't speak today, I don't know if there's an actual Christian church in Al-Shahir today or not. Uh, but you know what? I'll bet there's believers there. I'll bet, there's, I'll bet there's Christians living in this city even today. And that to me is amazing. We don't have cities. We, we can't really identify with living in a city or a town that is thousands of years old. I mean, we, we just don't know what that looks like or what that is about. Okay? But here, we know that this church, they're being persecuted. <coughs> And where's that persecution coming from? Rome. It's coming from Rome? Mm-hmm. Who's the primary persecutors at this time? The Jews. The Jews. Now this is a reality, and I want to make this, I want to make this really clear. Okay? We are not condemning the, the, the Jewish people. Okay? We're not condemning the Israelites or the Hebrews. It's not anti-Semitic. This is reality. Okay? And that reality should not cause us in any way to look at the, at the Jewish nation and look at the Israelites as if, you know, you're the ones who murdered Jesus and therefore whatever happens to you, you deserve it. Okay? They're still the apple of his eye. Man, people do, people do horrible things in the name of Christ all the time. Amen. I mean, it doesn't change... Who we are as believers, and we shouldn't judge all believers by the acts of those that do terrible things. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, we're going to learn something here, which we uh, that Jesus makes a point himself, and, and the scriptures point this out, and this is something that we need to grab a hold of. But but man, these Jewish people that are persecuting the church—they're the primary persecutors. Prior to 70 A.D., prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. The, the organized persecution outside of Rome, okay, the biggest persecutors of Christianity in the church was the Jewish people themselves, and specifically the Sadducees, etc. Okay? 
Man, they, they were doing everything that they can to crush Christianity, to crush it and call it a heresy and that Jesus isn't the Messiah, uh, etc., that they could. And we've already seen, and somebody go grab Revelation 2, verse 9. Who will grab that for me? You got that? I know you're worse in tri- tribulations and poverty, but you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not. I know the blasphemy of them who say they are Jews, but they are not. Are these fake Jews? Are these people who are really Gentiles running around disguised as Jewish people and doing these acts uh, in the name of Judaism or trying to make people believe that they're Jews? Is that what that means? Absolutely not, because this terminology of synagogue of Satan, we've already seen it again, right? It's used to describe the Jews that are persecuting the church. So the real question we need to ask ourselves is, why is that the case? Why are they persecuting the church? Why is it that they're called the synagogue of Satan? Why is it that, that, that God is coming against them besides the fact that we know they, they deny Jesus as Lord and Savior? They've denied who the Messiah is. He's got... He's got very specific things that he's had against the Israelites and the Jewish people that goes way before right? Jesus coming on the scene, coming in the flesh and dying on the cross. And it's ancient, and it goes back, and they keep perpetuating over and over the same issues, the same mistakes, the same sins, the same denying of God the Father. I mean, you got to remember, in Genesis, when we, when we go back, or pardon me, in Exodus, God declares, He tells the nation of Israel that you are a nation of priests. That means every Israelite is and was and was meant to be a priest. Why would you have an entire nation of priests? Right? I mean, why, why would you do that? Well, he goes on to tell them, they're supposed to be light to the world, to the Gentile nations, going all the way back to Exodus. They're the ones who are supposed to demonstrate and show to the world what it means to live for the king, what it means to live for God, what it means to be a nation who's redemptive and restorative. They're supposed to be the ones demonstrating and showing the love of God. They're the called out ones. They're the called out ones. Now, this is important, by the way. Uh, I keep planting some of these seeds, right, of, of uh, this whole discussion of predestined and predeterminism and, and the idea of Calvinism or hyper-Calvinism or whatever you want to call it. These things are important to understand. These are all these passages and places where God's revealing His character, where God's talking about His purpose for us. And, and where God is showing and demonstrating who He is. And the culmination of that arrived in who? In Jesus. And then when you look and you see all these characteristics about God and about His purposes and His will and His calling, and then you see the very works that Jesus Himself did. He demonstrated and He showed that character in flesh. And that character says something. And it says redemption, restoration. 
And these are the things that the church in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, these are the things that they were hanging on to. We just read, when they had little strength, when they were being persecuted, what's Jesus say about them? Man, you didn't deny me. You remained faithful. Even when, when life and this persecution around you was crushing. Now that should make us really stop and think about our own lives. But this goes back to the, the soul or the spark that God put in each and every person. Some of those stay alive and bright and beautiful and they are ministers or priests with glowing light. And then there's those that it just dies down and it's nothing. It's quiet. And it doesn't happen. And this, these people coming across and the shining lights are those who have accepted and go. Others have accepted, well, we'll just put a little bit of this religion in here and a little bit of this religion in here, and we'll make it our, our own thing and glorify ourselves. And it's not about ourselves. It's about glorifying God. It's about God. It's and about that's, Christ. That's what makes us a shining light. And people, man, have, have you met somebody who's just kind and caring and really shows genuine love and concern and compassion for people? And if you have in your life and you've experienced that, do you, how do you feel about them? I mean, you feel like, wow, that, that's the real deal. That right there, I want, I want to emulate that. I want to you know, demonstrate and, and have those characteristics in my own life. And then there's, there's others who, man, just totally reject it, right? So these passages and, and these characteristics of God and what he's pointing out about these churches, when we get to the, when we get to the end of this letter, we're going to go back and we're going to recap these overcomer statements. And there's this just beautiful picture <laughs> that Christ has said that if you'll overcome, and how do we overcome? Man, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, right. right? We overcome by believing and having faith, not in our own abilities, but in Him. This is the very mindset that carried this church through great persecution and difficulty. So much so that they had little strength. Don't let that term escape your mind in this description. Jesus wanted you to know, Right? Of all the things, he, he wanted you to know this particular detail about this body of believers. Man, not only were they demonstrating that in their weakness that they could be faithful to God and Christ through persecution, but they were also having difficulties just in life in general. They're living in a place that has earthquakes a lot. That there's destruction of, the, of their property and the things that they have. So as if life itself, just in general living, wasn't enough, now you're being persecuted because you believe in the King of Kings. You believe in this man who's done all these incredible miracles. And Jesus himself said, listen, if you can't believe by faith, right, in, in the fact that I'm God in Christ, then believe because of the what? The works. the works that I've done. <laughs> so works matter. 
right? Works themselves, seeing Frank do works, seeing the church at Philadelphia struggling through life and, and dealing with persecution and being faithful, seeing the way that they live that reality out can lead somebody to Jesus. It can lead them into faith and believing in who Christ is. Do you think that that's true even today? Absolutely. Man, yeah. <coughs> that's absolutely true even today. As a matter of fact, the why the Jews are called the synagogue of Satan is a big one. Somebody grab... Now, this is several passages. <laughs> you got that, Noelene? Somebody read John chapter 8, verse 39 through 45. Okay. They answered and said to him, uh, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But, be, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and come from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he who has sent me. Why do you do not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my words. You are, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He has a mother... <coughs> has murdered from the beginning and does not stand on the truth because there is no truth in him. When he seeks to lie, he speaks with his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Mm. Now that's a that by the way that's that's a powerful statement, okay? And at some point we're gonna we'll talk about and list out a bunch of these statements of uh, if you belong to God, then right? Well, here's one of them at the end of that passage that if you belong, whoever is of God, listen to this. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. Okay, this isn't this is Jesus. This is red letter words, right? So whoever is of God hears, right? Hears the words of God. Okay? And hearing here, it doesn't mean you just hear these words out there that have God in them and Jesus. Okay? Everybody can do that. Hearing is this is an active thing, right? This is I'm actually listening. I'm actually picking up. I'm understanding. I'm drawn. I'm compelled by the words of God. And we're not just talking about Scripture. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about Jesus Himself. So if you're, if you're God's, whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them, the reason why you're not picking up on them, the reason why you don't accept these words, the reason why you can't understand them, the reason that they're foolishness to you, who's He talking to? He's talking to the Jew. Those who are not of God. Right. He's talking to Jewish people. He's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's talking to the, the synagogue of Satan. 
the ones he said, you, you don't belong to me. Your father is not Abraham. They can't hear it because he said, you are not of God. Wow. Pretty strong. Man, that's really strong. So this is one of those statements. If you hear God, these are things that should comfort you. These are things that if you are questioning, and there are believers who do, and this is only one, okay? If you're questioning your relationship with God, if you're questioning whether or not you really hear from the Lord, you know, any of those kinds of things, here's just one of many statements where Jesus tells us, you know, if, if you're sitting here, if you have a desire to, to learn God's Scripture, if you're, if, you're, if you're pursuing Him, if, you know, these are things that are difficult. These are things that Scripture says you can't actually do. I want you to grab a hold of that. Okay? Now, some may think to themselves, well, wait a minute, we have people in the church all the time. They come here every Sunday or Wednesday night, you know? Or they may go to an event from time to time. They're here listening. They keep showing up. Does that mean that they're saved? Well, first of all, none of us know, right? (laughs) We can't know. It's not for us to judge. That's between them and God, right? So ultimately, they know and God knows. Okay? But we can certainly look at the works. We can certainly look at the fruit. And we can say, well, wait a minute. There should be life transformation. These are the things that we can see, things that we can evaluate. And Jesus flat out says, this is actually one of the things that says you're not actually a real Jew. Those who call themselves Jews aren't real Jews. Well, why is that? Well, first of all, they don't do the works of Abraham. They don't do the works of their father, Abraham. What was counted to Abraham is righteousness. He believed. believed. So right off the bat, they don't believe. And we see that in their life and activity. They They don't even believe in who Jesus is. They don't believe in the Messiah that God has sent. They don't believe even in the miracles and the works, although they see them. And they know, hey, we can't come against that necessarily because what are the people going to do? Stone us. Man, they're going to stone us. Well, I think, I, think, I think Jesus is saying not only do you not believe in me, I think he's saying you don't believe in the God you claim to believe in. Exactly. You know, you, you're not, you, you believe in a religious system. And, and you, 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 you've created this religious system that, that, that benefits you in a lot of ways, but you don't actually believe in who you say you, you, you created the system for. Man, that's a great point, because did the law exist with Abraham? No. The Mosaic Law. It didn't, did it? <laughs> so God's clearly, great point, Heath. God's clearly not talking about what they're doing as, as Pharisees and Sadducees in terms of the Mosaic Law. He's saying you don't even believe. You don't even walk in faith. You don't do these works. You're not Abraham, right? You're, you're not stepping out in faith because you believe. What I, God, am telling you to do? You don't commune with God, with me. 
You don't live out a life of faithfulness and fruitfulness and righteousness because of belief and faith. You're so fixed in this system. A system that God put in place, but He put in place for a reason. Going back to that priesthood of the Israelites to the nations. A, a nation literally constructed around what it means to serve and live in everything about life for God and His kingdom. To draw men to himself. They didn't do it. And so he's saying, you don't do the works of Abraham. And he also says, you know, you're not a real Jew for another reason. Somebody grab Romans chapter 2. You got that, Tammy? Uh, verse 28 through 29. I need someone to grab Romans chapter. You got that, Shane? Go ahead, Tammy. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outwardly and outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Wow. Go ahead, Shane. Romans 9, 6 through 8. But it's not, it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Neither are they children because they are Abraham's descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. <laughs> that is, not, not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise who are considered to be the offspring. You know, I don't want to get into replacement theology because I don't believe in replacement theology in terms of... Replacement theology. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> understand, understand what we're saying, right? Okay? There are theological positions that we craft and that we make, right? And we put all this stuff around it. And we say, this is it. Okay? And then there's, then, then there's this reality of Scripture itself. We can't argue... You're not a real Jew just because you're born an Israelite. Which, by the way, everybody knows, I almost want to step back from using the term Jew because Jew isn't, that, that's not a biblical term really describing Israel. They're Hebrews. They're Israelites. Jew's a derogatory term. And we've just, it's just, you know, we've gotten used to it being, uh, and even the Jewish people are used to it, right? Well, I think they almost embraced it um, to, to fight against it. Yeah. You know, kind of a thing. Absolutely. Well, the, right. the word Jew, if you interpret it, one interpretation is they are children from mixed marriages. When they went into Babylon, they came back as Jews. So. Amen. I was about not, to start dancing. I'm sorry. It's not a true bloodline anymore. It's not. Well. I know. I know. We. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so the Israelite, the Israelite people, you're not a true Israelite. You're not a true Hebrew just because you're born an Israelite. This is what Scripture tells us. Man, you're a true Israelite. You're a true Hebrew in your heart. In who you are. And not just because you self-identify, using a modern term, right? Just I'm not Jewish just because I say or an Israelite or a Hebrew just because I self-identify with being a Hebrew. Okay, A real Hebrew, a real Israelite, meant in heart, has something completely different going on with them. You and I as believers in Christ, we're true Israel. Okay, We're the true Hebrew. But the Hebrew 
who was born a Hebrew, who believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, is the real Hebrew. Scripture says that he's come to make one new man out of the two. Right? right? And this cannot be lost on us. One new man out of, out of the two. The two being the nation of Israel and the Gentile people. Right? right? The Gentiles and the Hebrews who believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and His Lordship, and, the, and His shed blood, and the work that He did on the cross. The two, the remnants, <coughs> out of those two, come together and become one new man. That's huge. That's huge. Absolutely. So, replacement theology? Yes. But replacement theology in the way a bunch of it's taught? No. <laughs> okay. okay. Alright. The, the new Israel's not in Utah. Or the New Jerusalem. Let me get that right. Okay? It's not, it's not in Utah. Okay? It's not what it's about. So Jesus, there's this other word. Somebody grab Isaiah 1 verse, chapter 22. You got that, Shannon? Verse 20. Chapter 22, verse 22. We see this term in, in here, in this letter to the church, where Jesus is describing himself, right? And for the, this is the first letter here to the church where Jesus describes himself in terms that are not in that first chapter, okay? So he calls himself holy and true, which he's referred to again in that way later in Revelation. He's the one who is holy. He's the one who is set apart. He's the one who is unique, right? And he is true. He's truth itself. You know, I hate this term that everybody uses nowadays. I'm going to share my truth. <laughs> oh, I'm getting so sick and tired of hearing that. Uh, you know what I mean? I just want to, I mean, I really it am. Is your name God? Yeah, right. My truth. I'm going to give my truth. I'm going to share my truth. I'm going to live my truth. Well, good luck with that. Okay? Because I didn't know that you are the arbiter of truth. I didn't know that you are the standard. I didn't know that you and the way that you, what you believe is true is what's true. I, I didn't know that. Breaking news. Breaking news. You're not. Yeah. You know, I feel sorry for you. Okay? And, and guys, we need to start taking this kind of stand as believers, as, as people of the king, as children, as light and salt. No, your truth doesn't matter. <laughs> okay? Wake up call. Real truth matters. And Jesus says, I am true. I am that truth. God is truth. His standard, he's the arbiter, he's the one that we have to, to weigh our lives and actions and reactions and all those kinds of things by. But he's the key of David. Isaiah twenty two twenty two. go ahead, Shannon. And I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. Wow. This is in Isaiah. Jesus is telling the church in Philadelphia, I am the key of David. Now, what is this whole key of David that Isaiah is talking about? Well, an individual called Elakim was set over as the steward. Isaiah is prophesying, and Isaiah is telling, Elakim was set over as the steward of the household of the king of Hezekiah. And the steward of the household of the king is literally given the keys to the household. And aside from the king himself... Guess who's making the decisions? Actually, the authority to make a decision on whether or not Frank can come into the household of the king is made by Eliakim. Eliakim. 
I like the way you pronounce it better than the way I pronounce it. <laughs> Just threw it out there. Sounded good. I'm going to go with Eliakim. All right. He is the one who makes that decision. He is. He's also the one who says, you can't come in. You're not allowed into the household of the king. So what Jesus is saying to the church is, I'm the one who holds the keys. Me and no one else. I alone have the authority. I alone determine. I alone am the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm opening a door. He says this to the church in Philadelphia. I have opened a door that no one can what? Only he can open it and nobody can shut it. Now that ought to just... That's a powerful passage. Okay? That's a powerful passage. Only Jesus can open and shut that door. You can't. You can't kick that door in. You can't come in another way. Man, when Jesus talks about himself as the shepherd, and we'll <laughs> close this out here. Uh, when he talks about himself as the shepherd, man, there's a really interesting passage where he says, you know, he's the good shepherd, and he's got his sheep, and his sheep know his name. And when he has them kind of corralled up, and here's what you got to realize. They made these these stone walls, right? And there was only one entrance and at night the sheep would go in and they'd be corralled up next to maybe a rock or something like that. If one was there, if one wasn't, then they just pinned them in. There was only one way in and one way out. And the sheep could only enter that way and they knew the voice of the shepherd. But he literally says, I'm the good shepherd and oh, there are people who are climbing over the walls to get in. They're coming in another way. But my sheep know what? They're not the real deal. And oh, by the way, I'm standing at the gate, so these, these ones who are climbing over the wall another way, they can't bring them through the gate because I'm the one standing there. I'm the one who lets them in and out. What does that sound like? Who are these people climbing over the wall? They can get into the sheep. Man, false teachers. False religions. Sounds like these religions that say, oh man, all religions point to God. Always lead, lead to heaven. God loves everybody. Yeah, God loves everybody. Nobody's going to hell, right? I want to encourage you guys to, well, we'll just pick up there. <laughs> Next week, we'll finish off with the only thing that matters is a new creation, right? Because there's only one way that we're new. Go ahead, I Nolan. I was with a young man who was from Vietnam or one of those places. And I was talking to him about Jesus. He said, oh, I can't do that. I first have to go to hell and pay for my sins, and then I'll be released. Mm, yeah, a little and purgatory going, action there. Uh, no, that's not what... Uh, no, I can sin and ask for forgiveness and still go to heaven. He just looked at me like I had just spoken Greek. <laughs> you know, I tried to explain it to you. All right, well, Lord, we just thank you, Father God, for who you are. We praise you just for your word and ask, Lord Jesus, that you uh, just... Make it come alive to us by your Holy Spirit. Teach us and lead us into the truth. And Father God, we, we just lift up the service this morning and ask that uh, you be lifted up and glorified and that you just speak to the hearts of, of your church, of your body. And Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.